Welcome or welcome back to Lift You Up, Inspiring Health Stories. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham. I'm the founder and chief storyteller of TV Media Group. But for the purpose of this podcast, I am your health and happiness matchmaker. Now, before I introduce you to today's guest, you know what I'm going to ask you to do? Hit subscribe right there on YouTube if you haven't done it already and turn on those notifications. Also, connect with me on LinkedIn because I'd love to stay connected with you. Now, today you're going to meet Shelly Bear. She is the founder and co-creator of Bold Beauty Project. It's a nonprofit. You're going to want to hear more about her story and this nonprofit and how they're shattering the standards of what beauty is. Our physical, mental, and emotional health is not just a want. It is a need for happy lives and prosperous businesses. Lift You Up is the podcast where we share inspiring health stories from business owners who are fulfilling their purpose to live their healthiest lives and helping you do the same. From former TV reporter to marketing entrepreneur and content creator, I care about sharing stories that matter and stories that connect us. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham, your health and wellness matchmaker. Well, today I'm so excited to be joined by Shelly Bear. Hi, Shelly. Hey. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Shelly is the founder and co-director of Bold Beauty Project, and I know she has so many more titles, so I won't. I don't want to mess it up. I'll let Shelly share that with us. Hi, Shelly. Welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> so good to see you. So good to be here with you today. <laughs> Thank you. Tell us a little bit more about you and what you do. So I work at University of Miami Miller School of Medicine at the Mailman Center for Child Development, which is a center for children who have developmental disabilities and chronic healthcare conditions. And I'm in the training division over there. And I run leadership programs for the disability community for professionals that want to create systems level change for young adults with disabilities and high school students with disabilities and without disabilities. So it's an inclusive high school leadership program. My background is clinical social work. So I do some social worky stuff at the Melman Center, but my role is really training, leadership, education. I also work with graduate students there that do their internship at the Melman Center. So I wear a lot of hats at the Melman Center. And I've been there 10 years. 10 years. Congratulations. And we were just mm -hmm. talking about how much we love UM. Go Canes. Yeah. <laughs> I always like to have my Canes on the show. <laughs> my oh, fellow Canes. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> but awesome. also how we were connected is uh, initially because of Bold Beauty Project and some mutual connections there. So tell me a little bit about what Bold Beauty Project is. Yes, um, Bold Beauty Project is a photography show. I have a disability myself. I have juvenile rheumatoid arthritis that I got when I was three years old and it's visible. So you can tell by looking at me, I know you can't really see my body now, but I walk with a limp and I use a scooter and a wheelchair for long distances and my, my hands are kind of small. And I think, you know, growing up as a kid, as a teenager, as a young woman, I never saw women that look like me. I devoured, you know, teen, um, teen magazine and mm. all the fashion magazines, and I never had any role models. I never saw women in the media and TV um, magazines. Now it's better, you know, it's definitely improved. But I, 
I, I noticed that lack of representation around beauty, disability, self-esteem, and women, and sexuality, actually. Um, that's kind of one of my passions. I do, I do talks about disability and sexuality because people with disabilities have sex as well yeah. and are central beings. And so this project evolved. I was serving on the board of the Center for Independent Living, which is a center for you know people with disabilities here in Miami and helping them become independent. And one of my friends worked there at the center and she had a friend who was a photographer and he noticed a woman in a wheelchair, very pretty. And he said he wanted to do a photo shoot of her and he wanted to photograph her nude. And he wanted it to be more like of a calendar. So Vanessa, my friend approached me and said, would I be interested in, in help being a model and getting this off the ground and doing it like more as a fundraising event for the Center for Independent Living. So that's long story short, that's how it started. We formed a committee. We moved away from the calendar idea because I thought that was kind of cheesy. Yeah. And we didn't want it to be exploitative, right? Of yeah. women with disabilities. And we also moved away from the nudity angle because this, the board of the CIL had to approve it. Mm -hmm. And the board was a little hesitant about the nudity, but we actually allowed each model to define how they see themselves as beautiful. So some of them did pose semi-nude, um, but it was really the model's choice. And I was 42 at the time and I had done a lot of work on my body image and I, I started dating and I had a boyfriend at the time. I was definitely a late bloomer because I didn't date at all in high school and college. And I just thought nobody would be interested in me because of my disability, my visible disability. Anyway, it made up for lost time. And I just was standing at a good place when, when I was approached to do this project. And I thought, people stare at me anyway, like I'm noticeable, right? You can tell that I have something going on with my body. And I didn't hesitate. I said, yes, I'll be one of the models. Um, because and was, it was that was that something you would not have done otherwise? Oh my God, Tamika, no way. I would have, if you had asked me 10 years prior, like in, in my thirties, I would have said, hell no, I'm not posing nude. I'm not, I don't want to be a model. So it was interesting that I didn't hesitate. I usually analyze everything and I said, yes. And I was okay with it. And then the, the, the project blossomed and grew and we gathered 20 women with various disabilities, physical and sensory. So we had blind women and deaf women and we were very conscious of wanting it to be diverse disabilities, diverse ethnicities, and diverse ages. And we didn't do um, developmental disabilities initially because, you know, people have a Down syndrome or an intellectual disability because I didn't want them to be exploited. You know, I wanted them to understand what this project, the mission and the vision of this project. So we, we put that on hold, but we, it was, was so successful. We were in a gallery in Wynwood and we had 20, they were large billboard size um, photographs. And 
it, it raised the most money for the CIL ever. <laughs> and our committee, we couldn't let this go. At least I couldn't let it go. I was the co-creator and the founder. I don't know. So it just kind of was a transformative experience on a lot of levels. And I looked at myself in a different way. And I have some of the photos in my apartment. So whenever I'm like down on myself, I can you know look at those images. And I just wanted more women to experience this transformative experience by being a model for a day and kind of owning their own beauty and defining how they see themselves as beautiful. So we reformed re or have a new team, a, a new co-director, Dr. Eva Ritvo, and she is a daughter with cerebral palsy, and she wanted her daughter to do this. And that's, so Eva came on board, and now I have a, a committee, and we incorporated into 2015, and we replicated it in other cities, not just Miami. Oh, so we have replicated it in Washington, D.C. in 2015, then in Philadelphia, I was born in Philadelphia, so we still have a lot of friends and family in there, over there. Okay. And then Texas. I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> oh, you are? Yeah. <laughs> and we have, we have, it was replicated in Texas, some cities in Texas, and then in Panama. So wow, we, so you went international. Now, so it's, it's really grown and expanded and it's you know it's not slowing down right now during the pan pandemic we, we obviously haven't been able to replicate it in other cities right now when now, you replicated but... it in other cities um the individuals photographs were all in each of those separate cities yes we we have a team in that city and then we re they recruit models that live there women with disabilities that live there same with the photographers um, it's of the community. It's driven by the community. It's a lot of work, <laughs> but it takes about a year to get this off the ground. All the photographers volunteer their time. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you really want to find good photographers and people that are interested in this mission, right? which is to really break up stereotypes and mm. myths around women, disability, beauty, sensuality, and empowerment, mm. and kind of shatter those old beauty paradigms mm -hmm. um, by s making women with disabilities visible uh, around beauty and sensuality. You mentioned, you know, the words owning your own beauty and obviously also shattering those um, stereotypes of what beauty is and how good you felt that you have the pictures up and when you do feel down you're able to see those what do you think the the message um was as a result of this project for those specifically i mean for everybody but specifically for those who don't have a disability and who visited yeah. this what do you think they took away from it or you for, hope they did for the audience yeah they're just blown away and their, 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 their stereotypes have been shattered. Um, one, somebody made a comment to us, I think it was my cousin who came down from New York to see the, the 10 year anniversary in 2016 in Miami. And he said, after seeing all the images, he will never park in a handicapped spot again, like illegal, you know, illegally, because so many people do that and take advantage. I don't know. It just, 
increased his sensitivity and appreciation, I, I think, as well. Um, and also just, I think, opens up people's eyes, mm -hmm. you know, that people with disabilities are just like human beings, just like everybody else. They may have some extra challenges that they have to, that we have to go through, but we work, we're leaders, we're, we get married, we get divorced, we have children, you know, we do everything yeah. that everybody else does. And sometimes it, it, we're not appreciated for that or we're not valued. Yeah, I no, think sometimes it's important to spread the message. I want to ask and go further back in your history. You mentioned ju juvenile rheumatoid arthritis um, and that you were diagnosed with that at three years old. Um, yes. For those who don't know, myself included, really, can you explain what that is? Yes, um, it's an autoimmune disease and it attacks the cartilage in your joints. Okay. So it's painful <laughs> and, you know, it can stunt growth and it has your, you can get swollen, swollen joints. Um, and over time it destroys the cartilage in your joint and you can have bone rubbing against bone. And I, I got polyarticular. So that means I got it in all my joints. Sometimes wow. people, kids can get it in one or two joints and then it goes into remission. I wasn't lucky like that. Wow. And I got, unfortunately got it in all my joints and I've had hip replacements and knee replacements and some surgeries on my, my wrists. And I was, I had hip replacements when I was 14. Wow. I wasn't walking. I was in a lot of pain. So luckily my dad was a doctor and I was able to get the surgery on my hips because they don't like to do it on kids mm. and teenage because you're still growing. You're still growing. They yeah. did some kind of test on me that the, that part of me wasn't, that bones weren't growing. So I was able to have the surgery. Wow. So I've, and I, I've had knee replacements as well in between graduate college and grad school. Just, I, so it, it helped me so much you know, some of these surgeries. Um, but it's it's challenging as well. Because I always feel like my life is interrupted, you know, by the surgeries and the pain sometimes. Did you always know that your circumstances were going to influence your career path? That's a great question, Tamika. No, I did not. And I was actually kind of anti working in disability. I was a clinical Why? social worker. I, I guess I just was not, I hadn't accepted it, right? I was right. still, hadn't fully accepted my disability. I didn't even really call my, have own my identity as a woman with a disability, probably until I started working at the Mailman Center. Um, I'm a clinical social worker. I help low income populations. That was my passion is to work with low income populations. And I did that throughout my whole career before I, you know, switched to the Mailman Center 10 years ago. And I had some opportunities because um, I always worked at UM actually School of Medicine in the Department of Pediatrics. I work with kids who are HIV positive for a really long time. 
And then I met other people at the Melman Center over my career there. And some, I had some opportunities to go speak to medical students and pediatric residents and share my story of growing up with a disability, a chronic illness. And Tamika, I was terrified because I, how do I share my whole life, yeah. you know, with future doctors and make it meaningful and relevant for them? I didn't want to just tell my, you know, it's a sob story. I wanted to give them lessons learned. Mm. I'm a writer and a poet. So I ended up writing my story and broke it down into developmental stages of my life. And that was my beginning of learning how to share my story with a purpose, um, not just, you know, blast out, you know, all the anecdotes. I really wanted it to be purposeful and I loved it. So mm. I kind of learned and got over my fear of public speaking by starting to do this. And working as a social worker, I, I led groups and I, I started presenting a lot. But I think that the shift that happened was when I was invited to share my story to future healthcare professionals. And then a series of events, I got hired at the Melman Center full time to create this leadership program for people with disabilities. And I started learning about disability culture and the disability community and feeling like, wow, I'm part of a community. I'm, I'm part of a tribe. Even though we all have different disabilities, I work very closely. I was instrumental in hiring my assistant who has, who's on the autism spectrum. And we work so well together. And I've learned so much about autism um, because of working with him. And I think it, it evolved to be good. It took me a while yeah. to kind of feel comfortable and being okay. Because disability was never mentioned growing up, you know, in my family. I'm the only one. My, I have a sister and brother and they everybody's okay. Nobody else has arthritis or any other type of disability. Um, but it was never said. Disability was never said. I knew I was different and I knew I had arthritis. Why do you think it was never said when you were growing up? It's interesting. I'm not sure. I, I, I spoke with my mom um, recently. I don't know if you're familiar with that documentary Crip Camp. It's on Netflix. I haven't it was, seen it, but yes, a couple of people have recommended it? it to me. Yes, it's, I, I would highly recommend it. It. It, recommend it. It's all about the disability civil rights movement, about the leaders that were instrumental in, in that. And they all go to a summer camp. It was a camp just for kids with disabilities. And I said, why didn't you send me to a camp like that? You know, when I was a kid. And she said she wanted me to be normal. And, you know, it was interesting, you know, like mm -hmm. as a parent, you're coming from that perspective. Right. And I hate that word normal because what is normal? Yeah. You know, exactly. we're all, we're unique. all just human. Right? Yeah, exactly. So we didn't have those terms as much as we do now. Yeah. I mean, I asked that question because my first inclination was maybe that 
your parents or your family didn't want you to feel isolated or different or like you weren't a part of um which i'm sure it came from like a well very well-intentioned place but like you mentioned earlier on representation and then seeing others who are like you and having that kind of commonality there is so important and it sounds like you found that now yeah. you know whether it was intended or not yes exactly and it, it is it is nice to have somebody that just gets it you know mm -hmm. and you don't really have to explain anything right um, i'm talking more about others that have physical disabilities right. even though mine is very different than my friend who's has cerebral palsy and he uses the wheelchair all the time right. and he's black you know and but he's a good friend and, and he helped me out in the situation where i was feeling a little like an ableism like there was some something happened where it kind of hit home that there is such a thing as disability culture and i never really thought there was but there is hmm. i want to shift gears a little bit and ask you i had another intention for what i was going to ask but i like what you brought up earlier um, about disability and sexuality, um, which sounds like a topic you're passionate about and you speak about. So talk to me more about that. I think um, there's still very a lot of stereotypes and myths around that topic. Um, people with disabilities as being sensual, sexual beings, and people don't often attribute people with disabilities as asexual or over overly sex, especially people who have intellectual disabilities. So I think there's a lot of, um, still a lot of stereotypes and myths. And women with disabilities have one of the highest rates of um, sexual abuse, domestic violence, um, and they're really not learning this in school either, like sex ed, sexual education. Well, it's, it's an issue for any, any kid, regular kids in, in schools, but now it, now it came, came back to Miami-Dade, but they weren't giving it to kids who are in special education classes. Um, sex I actually ed, spoke, they, weren't, they weren't giving sex no, ed? No, they weren't. I actually spoke to the, the school board about that. I got involved and I, I spoke wow. about how it's so important to make sure, I think they are now, I think they're, yeah. They're going to make sure that happens but i think that i was shocked and i'm disturbed <laughs> yeah and it's honestly it's obvious it's not something that hey i'm this top of mind and maybe they're not thinking about it because they're not in those shoes but yeah hearing yes. you say that it doesn't it doesn't make sense yes and i think too that you know it, it's in the medical world when i was growing up with seeing my physician and I, I tell the pediatric residents, I actually just spoke to them today, I speak, speak to them once a month. I, my physician never talked to me about sex and I never thought I could have sex because of my joint, my, my hips, you know, my joint limitations. And they always ask me, what would you, you have wanted to hear from your doctor? And I, I said, well, you could say, how's your love life? What lights you up? Um, are you dating anybody? Mm -hmm. As you know, teenagers are really guarded. 
I may not have opened up, but <laughs> it would have set the stage. They, you know, I probably, cause you know, you see the same doctor every couple months when you have a chronic illness and I would have maybe opened up and I, it would have helped me. Wow. They think I'm cute. They think I can attract somebody. And it would have saved yeah. years of therapy. Um, I think if a physician had opened that door or began to talk about it, because even though you're a teen, you're a teenager, you still have all the hormones. You you're you have crushes and you want to be prepared and you want you want to help the parents be prepared and talk to their children, their teenagers with disabilities about it. One of the, the kids, young adults that I work with, um, when we I did my our leadership program, she was turning 30. She has cerebral palsy. She was in a wheelchair. She never had gone to a GYN and she never really dated. And I was so, I was so sad. I was, I, I, they're, she's Hispanic, so they're more overprotective. But the, she was in my leadership program, so I couldn't really help her with that because it wasn't my role. But that just hit home yeah. that we're, we're missing a population of young, young people with disabilities mm. that are not prepared or, and they, she, you know, she's great. She had so much to offer and she was feeling like she wanted to have those experiences like everybody else. Absolutely. So I think there's still work to be done. Absolutely. As far as educating. Yeah, and we were talking briefly um, offline about this and how often the disability community is left out of the diversity and inclusion uh, conversation and how important it is that we recognize that and, you know, make sure we don't forget disabilities as part of that because it's intersects. Mm -hmm. Right. Go. I mean, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts Intersex, on that. Intersectionality of you know race, gay, lesbian, mm -hmm. women, yeah. low SES, socioeconomic status, religion, different religions. So we cut across disability inter, in, has intersects with all those other social identities, and you know you can kind of be double marginalized because. Right. You know what it you know what if you're a gay lesbian then you're also in a wheelchair so you know that's a little more having more discriminate discrimination going on there so it's complicated yeah but people with disabilities are the largest minority in the united states and we're, we're still not fully represented in different spheres of politics and medicine and science and academia and I'm on the committee at UM and we, we formed an ERG employee resource group and there's a, a disability one now and I'm, I'm part of that. I think what can tend to happen is that we don't always know what to say. Like when it comes to right meeting, getting to know somebody with a disability, you know, we don't know how much to ask, what to say. Um, and, and some of those questions that can be difficult to bring up. So I guess what would you want, you know, someone who doesn't have a disability to know? And what is the appropriate way to approach it, the, uh, the conversation? I think maybe, first of all, don't be afraid to ask 
question. So don't don't be afraid like to be gun shy um, because mine is visible. So I know people are wondering what's mm -hmm. going on with her. And, you know, say it could say something like, if you don't mind me asking, you know, what what happened or, you know, what what is your disability? And I prefer that, you know, mm -hmm. that people ask me. I always try to weave it into the conversation, though, when I'm meeting somebody new, mm -hmm. because it's I know I know they're they're wondering. So. It was once I went when I my for an interview to get a job at the Melman Center, not at the Melman Center, at the JY Center, and she turned out to be a good friend. We we became she was my colleague, but she thought I had, she thought it was a little person, because <laughs> you know my arms are short, mm -hmm. and I'm not like super super tall, and right in the interview I said what I had, you know, I have arthritis and. But I drive. I do everything I could do. I do the, could do the job. Obviously, I got hired. But her perception of me was off, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I was able to tell her actually what it was. But it was interesting that that's I've never had that before. That somebody thought that's what I I had. But it's really okay to ask, and don't don't assume. Um, there's a lot of disability etiquette you know, stuff that that's available to to help people feel comfortable and, you know, and a lot of people want to help. Um, if you see somebody in a wheelchair struggling with a door or that kind of thing, or somebody who's blind or, you know, the, it's, it's, it's good. But people with disabilities would like to be as independent as possible. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that I do need help with. So I would like to do everything I can do on my own. Right. Um, but I have really actually learned how to receive. Hmm. Um, and I was working with a therapist for a while. And I think she said, it's a gift. You know, when you let somebody help you, yeah. you're giving them a gift. So I'm cool with it now. <laughs> and I ask strangers sometimes to help me because sometimes it's hard to get up from a low seat, a low, a low chair. I've been in, stranded in movie theaters and I can't get up from the seat. And I'm okay, I, I'm not, not shy anymore. And I, I can ask people for help. But we, I just spoke about this today actually. Languaging is very important, how you language things, how you say things. So you may not want to say, do you need help? Because I'll say no. I, I'll say I'm good. Maybe say, would you like some help? May I help you? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just kind of a different yeah. twist yeah. on it. And I never thought about it like that before. But I, I had my an ex-husband. He had the same illness as me, arthritis. And he said it like that. And he, because he's like the guy, you know, the macho guy. Yeah. And he said, no, I'll never respond to somebody that says, do you need help? Because no. We, you don't so just that. that's important when you think about how you're interacting with people with disabilities. Um, you know, don't like touch the wheelchair. You know, that's their personal space. Mm hmm it's like an extension of their body. That's yeah. what I've heard people say. Absolutely. I'd like to know what's next for Bold Beauty Project. 
So it's interesting, this past year, we pivoted because obviously we weren't doing anything in person. So we created a monthly webinar series on Zoom with all our models across the United States. Um, it's called Bold Beauty in Action. And each month we have a different speaker, a different topic, and it's a shared leadership model. So each month, another whim, a, a different woman will, will take it on, you know, take on the topic. And we've been meeting, it started last July in honor of the 30th anniversary of the ADA. So this month, you know, we've been meeting one year every month and it's really pretty cool. We have about a, maybe 10 to 15 women that, that are like the regulars and we have new women that weren't necessarily models mm -hmm. in bold beauty, but they're really leaders in the disability community. They're powerhouse women. We have a, quite a few from DC, Virginia, New Jersey. Um, so it's really nice and a, bu a bunch from Miami. So it's been really a nice community uh, of women and like a new way to interact, make mm -hmm. friends, network, and reduce social isolation during this crazy year and a half for all of us. And we also created a virtual gallery. I can send you the link. Yes, um, that was something that we created too during the pandemic um, because we had a donor. So we were able to do this virtual gallery. So it's like you're walking through the exhibit virtually. Oh, it's nice. really cool. Oh yeah, please send me the so link. So we did that as well. Wonderful. And we don't really have, we may be exhibiting in New Jersey at the Robert Wood Johnson Gallery. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So Not far away from where I'm from. <laughs> really? So that's going to be next spring in okay. 2022. And that's spearheaded by our Philadelphia photographer who has a contact there. So that's super exciting. So we'll be able to add new models, I guess, from the New Jersey area too, and then repurpose some of the Philadelphia images. So that's, that's really exciting. It's not like 100% confirmed, but it looks like it's going to be a go. That's wonderful. Shelly, this has been a really great and eye-opening, engaging conversation. Tell everyone where they can find you, connect with you, learn more about Bold Beauty Project, support you. Oh, thank you. You're so sweet. <laughs> we have a website, boldbeautyproject.com. And that's, you can, you can email us through there and there is a, a Facebook page and an Instagram page, and you can get the link um, on our website and you can see all, we have all the images um, on the website from all those, all the shows that we've oh, had awesome. over the years. And I'll make sure to link to all that below in the show notes. So everyone can find that nice and easily right there. Shelly, okay. is there anything else that you wanted to add that I didn't ask you? Just, um, I'm very grateful that you wanted to share my story and a little bit of, about what I do and, and including disability into what you're doing. I'm very excited about this. 
So thank you so much. It's important to me and I really appreciate you sharing your story and opening up. And, you know, if it touches just one person, I feel like, you know, it's a success. Yes. Yes, I agree. (laughs) Thank you so much, Shelly. I really loved that Shelly was so open, shared her personal story, and also educated us, me, on so much around those with disabilities and making sure we keep them as part of the diversity and inclusion conversation. So make sure you go below, find all of her information in the show notes, connect with her, learn about Bold Beauty Project, also some other resources down below to educate yourself as well. And hey, if you aren't already, I don't know why, make sure you're connected with me. I'm all the places, YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You'll find that below too, because you want to make sure you don't miss out on new episodes, which are every week on Mondays. So until I see you back next week, because I know you'll be here, stay happy, stay healthy.